Welcome to Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicMPR.com. This is Elena DelVal, and my guest is Mark Podok, who is Director of the Intelligence Project of the Southern Poverty Law Center. Today we will discuss the growth of anti-Latino hate groups in the United States. As editor of the Southern Poverty Law Center's Intelligence Report magazine, Mark leads an operation that monitors the extreme right in the world today. In addition to editing the magazine, Mark acts as spokesperson for the FPLC, a well-known civil rights organization based in Alabama. He has testified before the Senate, the United Nations High Commission on Human Rights, and in other venues. Before joining SPLC in 1997, Mark spent almost 20 years as a reporter at newspapers including USA Today, the Dallas Times-Herald, and the Miami Herald. While at USA Today, he covered the 1993 siege in Waco, the rise of militias, the 1995 Oklahoma City bombing, and the trial of Timothy McVeigh. In 1996, his editors nominated him for a Pulitzer Prize for a package of stories on racism in Texas public housing. And most recently, the Intelligence Report, which he edits, received the 2007 Investigative Award, which is part of the Utney Independent Press Awards. Congratulations. Well, thank you so much. Mark, welcome. I'm pleased to be here. Thanks for having me. This is a... An interesting and yet at the same time worrisome topic, and I know that you're one of the leading experts, so we're very thrilled that you could join us. Can we start at the very, very basic end of the discussion, and would you define for us what is a hate group? How do you define a hate group? Well, the way we define a hate group is uh, entirely uh, about ideology. What it is not is a description of a group's criminality or some kind of judgment about a potential for future violence. So uh, in our minds, a hate group is a group uh, uh, which has a platform or whose leader uh, in writings or speeches says that a whole group of people is somehow less. In other words, a group that says all white people are blue-eyed devils, all black people are, you know, wicked criminals, all Jews are whatever it may be. Uh, that's our definition of a hate group. And, of course, hate groups have been around since the beginning of time, so this in, in itself is not new. That is certainly true. I mean, the Klan, of course, is the best-known organized hate group in this country, but we've had groups going back essentially to the beginning. And yet what is amazing today, what is newsworthy today, is the boom in anti-Latino hate groups in the last seven years in the United States. Would you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it really is the phenomenon of this uh, early this millennium. It's probably worth remembering that in the 1990s we saw uh, a whole movement, the militia movement, that kind of came and went. Uh, but since the turn of the millennium, we have seen increasingly uh, the rise of uh, nativist hate groups uh, and other nativist groups, groups that are opposed, desperately opposed, uh, to immigration. Uh, probably most remarkably, uh, we've seen uh, the number of traditional hate groups, white supremacist groups like the Ku Klux Klan, neo-Nazi groups, and so on, uh, grow in size and in numbers quite substantially uh, since the year 2000. 
Uh, in fact, uh, we count, one thing we do is we uh, do official counts of hate groups and publish their names and locations every year. Uh, the number of hate groups operating in the United States in 2000 was 602. Uh, we have just completed the count for 2007, and that number is 888. Uh, that represents a 48% growth in the number of hate groups in the United States, and we attribute this uh, almost entirely to the really rancid uh, debate on immigration that's occurring in this country. Uh, I say rancid because uh, this, I think, by and large, has not been a terribly edifying debate or democratic debate on immigration. It's largely been uh, a kind of one-sided uh, monologue about, you know, what's wrong with those brown-skinned people who are heading north to destroy our country. Within the hate group community, this 882 groups that you're talking about, are there any subdivisions? Is it sort of the Ku Klux Klan and then everybody else? Or are, is everybody equal in terms of their hatred? I'm not really sure how to define that. Well, actually, there are many sectors uh, of this movement. There are Klan groups. There are neo-Nazi groups, uh, often quite different. Uh, there are groups uh, which are uh, we call neo-Confederate groups, which are essentially southern groups which really seek to kind of reinstitute principles of the antebellum South. We cover an array of black supremacist groups, groups like the New Black Panther Party. Uh, and the list goes on and on. There are a great many groups uh, called Christian Identity Groups. That is a particular uh, radical theology. Uh, so they're really, there are tax protesters. There are anti-abortion extremists. So it's quite an array of groups. Uh, but the vast majority of that 888 groups we're talking about include... Uh, as part of their tenets, uh, a real distaste and, and hatred, in fact, uh, for people of color, and in particular, uh, people with brown skin. You know, what's been remarkable is the Klan, of course, uh, you know, despises black people, despises brown people, despises, you know, gays and all kinds of other people. Uh, but the Klan, among others, uh, has realized in the last several years uh, that immigration uh, is, a, is a, an issue that works extremely well for the Klan uh, and other groups like this, in that uh, there's a much wider dialogue in this country. Uh, you know, one needs only listen to a show like Lou Dobbs tonight uh, to understand that Latinos are, are defamed uh, these days quite constantly, often in mainstream venues, and not at all in a way that's limited to the Klan or radical right-wing groups. Do these groups themselves identify or self-identify as hate groups? If, if you ask them directly, will they define themselves as hate groups? Oh, no. I mean, by and large, they'll say, no, no, we're not hate groups. Uh, you know, we're love groups. We love the white race. You know, occasionally you'll get these particularly uh, vicious uh, neo-Nazi groups uh, that embrace the idea, yes, you know, we hate our enemies, we hate the Jews because they're destroying the world, and so on. But no, as a general matter, of course, these groups don't very much like that uh, appellation. Would it be accurate to say that they do embrace the term white supremacist groups? I would say as a general matter, no. Uh, in the bad old days, back, uh, you know, during, uh, before the desegregation era in the South, uh, basically, uh, people are certainly radical on the radical right did view themselves as white supremacists. 
their intent was to reestablish white supremacy over black people in the South. These days, the majority of radical groups will say to you, we're not supremacists at all, we are white separatists. And there is some truth to what they're saying. I mean, they're still uh, intensely racist and despise people of color, but what you will mostly hear from these groups today is, you know, we don't want to rule over any black people, we don't want to rule over any brown people, we want those people to go away. You know, sort of blacks should go back to Africa. People with brown skin should go to Mexico or point south. Uh, you know, we don't, we'd rather do our own lawns is the kind of statement you'll, you'll hear very often, uh, from these groups. Uh, we'll, we'll do our own lawns. We'll, we'll, you know, be our own short order, uh, cooks, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, we just want to exist in a country of people, uh, who look precisely like us. And, the fact that some of these individuals that they would like to be separate from are U.S. born, sometimes from many generations back, it makes no difference? It makes no difference at all. And, you know, I, I should say that that attitude extends to many people who are not members of hate groups. There are people affiliated with groups that are relatively mainstream. Uh, like the Federation for American Immigration Reform, which is thought of as a mainstream immigration restrictionist group, uh, which say that essentially we should do away with the 14th Amendment. Uh, you know, so uh, these are groups that really do not respect uh, the idea that if you're born in this country, you're a citizen uh, at all. And then, of course, you get to the neo-Nazi and the Klan groups, and frankly, they don't give a damn. Uh, about a uh, person's citizenship. You know, they just have this overarching idea that racial purity or, or a homogenous kind of racial purity is what makes a country great. And so that is what they pursue with all their energies. What did the groups themselves do? In other words, if we're looking at 882 groups, how many people does that represent? And what activities do they engage in? What what does the group constitute? Well, it's very hard to say how many people that includes because, of course, these are groups that do not publish membership lists or uh, anything like it. And, in fact, if they say anything about their membership, they tend to wildly exaggerate it. All that said, uh, I think it's fair to estimate that we may be talking about somewhere between one and 200,000 Americans who are fairly directly involved in these groups. You know, um, one way of looking at that is that's quite a few people. Uh, on the other hand, of course, we're a country of more than 300 million people, and that really is a, a tiny drop in the sort of population bucket. But these groups uh, have a much more noxious uh, effect, I would argue anyway, uh, than their size indicates. I mean, what they do, of course, is, uh, you know, they engage in rallies. Sometimes they engage in criminal activities, or their members do. Uh, you know, often the rallies and marches and so on are very provo provocative. Uh, I would say over the last few years that virtually every uh, couple of weeks or certainly every month, uh, there is an anti-quote-unquote illegal immigration demonstration by a Klan group uh, or a Nazi group or something of that order. You know, all that said, uh, you know, those rallies are unpleasant, uh, they're ugly things. Uh, but I think probably the most uh, noxious uh, effect of these groups is that they have a way of coming up with uh, propaganda, in this case anti-Latino and anti-Mexican propaganda, that seeps out of the groups 
makes its way into the larger anti-immigration movement, the Minuteman groups and so on, uh, and ultimately, and very unfortunately, winds up being spouted from uh, the mouths of, of, in some cases, U.S. congressmen, leading politicians, uh, pundits on television like Lou Dobbs, uh, you know, a whole array uh, of right-wing radio talk show hosts and so on. So that's really the poison. Uh, you know, we now have people uh, in positions of uh, real authority who will make statements like illegal aliens are responsible for the deaths of 25 Americans every day. Uh, you know, when you look at uh, that claim and the basis on which it's made, it turns out to be utter and complete hogwash. But that is a fact, that is a statement, a claim that is made by a U.S. congressman, Steve King from Iowa. So it really is unfortunate what's happened. What I'm arguing, basically, is that hate groups uh, have poisoned this debate, and they have been aided and abetted uh, in their poisoning of the debate uh, by certain politicians and pundits. Now, what you were saying earlier, Mark, is that of late they have found the immigration issue and immigrants a particularly good, fertile target for their efforts. It works for them because, of course, you know, every poll shows that something like three out of four Americans feel that the immigration system is broken in this country and that something has to be done now to fix that system. So, you know, what the Klan, for instance, sees is they see an issue with great resonance uh, among the, lo- the greater public, huge numbers, millions and millions, tens of millions of Americans are concerned with this issue. And, of course, from the perspective of the Klan, it is an issue that can easily be spun racially, uh, you know, for the Klan and related groups. It's not merely an issue of, you know, what number of people would really be best for our economy uh, and most humane and so on you know, kind of what works best all around. For the Klan, uh, you know, it becomes very rapidly an issue of, you know, what is wrong with people with brown skin, you know, why, and, and, and it goes on from there. Why are they coming up here to rape our daughters, to fill our jail cells, to bring, uh, you know, nasty diseases like leprosy and a whole host of other propagandistic claims like that. You know, the real point, though, is, is that uh, the Klan is not wrong. It, it is an issue with great resonance. Of course, they spin it in this uh, incredibly racist way, uh, you know. But it, it, the fact is, it's helped the Klan and other groups like it grow. Where does the funding come for these efforts? And this doesn't sound like something that was just pulled together impromptu. It sounds like some of these individuals are capable, that they have an understanding of market issues and marketing and public relations strategies, and obviously some sort of financial backing. Well, I would say that by and large that's not really true of the uh, what we think of as hate groups, as Klan groups and neo-Nazi groups and so on. These tend to be very small, underfunded operations. Very often, Klan groups in particular, uh, you know, do collect dues from their members, but the dues very typically go to support the leader's lifestyle. Uh, you know, typically the Grand Dragon or the Imperial Wizard doesn't work at all, uh, simply lives off his, his members. Now, you know, that said, uh, we've been discussing hate groups mainly, but there are a whole array of other groups, anti-immigration groups or nativist groups, whatever you want to call them, 
that are relatively more mainstream, and some of these groups are extremely well-founded. Uh, FAIR, the Federation for American Immigration Reform, which we were discussing a little earlier, uh, is one of them. Uh, you know, these are groups that, that do have real money. FAIR pays its president close to a quarter million dollars a year in salary, for instance. Uh, a lot of these groups, these nativist, more mainstream groups, are funded uh, by uh, right-wing foundations, such as the foundations run by Richard Mellon Scaife. Uh, Scaife is a uh, hard right uh, millionaire who was uh, behind, among other things, the funding of the whole effort to uh, make a case around Whitewater uh, against the Clintons and, you know, uh, pushed all kinds of conspiracy theories about how the Clintons had been involved in, you know, drug trafficking in Arkansas and multiple murders and so on. In other words, uh, the funding is coming from very far right-wing foundations uh, and, and, in some cases, individuals. And now, excuse me, that's moving a little bit into the nativist groups. Before we do that, did I hear you say Grand Dragon and Imperial Lizard? Imperial Wizard. The Imperial Wizard of the Klan is the national leader of the Klan. Grand Dragon is their term for state leader. And there are a whole bunch of other weird terms that uh, define various offices within the Klan. Would you tell us a little bit more, Mark, if you know, it seems like some of these groups are very secretive, what the profile of the typical hate group member is? Is it is there a gender um, preference? Well, there's a lot of difference from group to group. Uh, you know, some of the groups, for instance, uh, racist skinheads that we cover are largely an urban phenomenon. Racist skinheads actually grew out of the punk rock scene. Uh, which was, of course, not a racist scene, but, you know, it added this layer of, of you know, where Aryans and our enemies are black people and brown people. Uh, you know, skinheads tend to be, you know, male, uh, although uh, probably a good 40% of skinheads are women, uh, urban, uh, you know, very much into the kind of hard rock scene, um, and street fighters, people like to hang out in bars and, you know, break beer bottles over each other's heads. You look, though, at most of the uh, clan groups, and they are a very rural phenomenon. They tend to be populated by older white men. There's not a lot of young people in the clan, although there are a few. Um, and as I said, they're very much a rural phenomenon. You essentially will not find clan groups in the cities. And it goes on from there. Uh, a lot of the neo-Nazi groups uh, tend to be kind of Internet organizations. People live all over, uh, but they will get together. Uh, whether they live in the city or in the country, for a particular rally. So it, it's hard to answer the question, you know, in a simple way across the board, although I'll say this. I mean, by and large, we're talking about men, certainly more men than women. Uh, by and large, we tend to be talking, especially in the more active groups, about relatively young people, people in their teens and 20s and uh, perhaps into the 30s. Um, and uh, as a general matter, but this is certainly not true across the board, they tend to come from lower socioeconomic kind of strata of the society. However, it's sometimes surprising uh, the people that you will get attracted to this movement. Uh, just a brief, for instance, uh, the man who founded and led until his death, what for about 30 years was the leading neo-Nazi organization in this country, uh, was a guy named William Pierce, and he had been, in fact, a university physics professor. So, you know, this was quite a different kind of character than one might think of as a, a, a Nazi leader. 
And he was the leader of the neo-Nazi, the leading neo-Nazi group? That's right. It's called the National Alliance. It used to be a very important group. It's essentially collapsed over the last four or five years uh, since Pierce's death in uh, 2002. What activities are the hate groups, the prominent hate groups involved in, other than these once-a-month rallies that you talked about? Do they do anything? Well, not a whole lot. I mean, you know, of course, a lot of them have very active Internet pages. A lot of these people, uh, you know, there's sort of an internal joke, are, are what they call net Nazis. They kind of spend all their time, you know, saying ugly things on the Internet and posting in, in neo-Nazi forums and sending each other, you know, unpleasant emails and that sort of thing. Uh, a lot of the groups also engage in flyering or pamphleting. Uh, typically in the middle of the night, you know, they'll go out and fly in a neighborhood, whether that means, you know, putting pamphlets under people's uh, uh, windshield wipers or whatever. Uh, and sometimes they will do this in a very in-your-face way, you know, for instance, uh, put Klan uh, leaflets all through a black neighborhood. And then sometimes you will get uh, groups, uh, there are particular groups that very much uh, like to uh, engage in real provocations. Uh, an example is uh, one of the largest neo-Nazi groups out there currently, in fact the largest, called the National Socialist Movement, uh, has been engaging in marches, quote-unquote, against black crime through inner-city neighborhoods. Uh, their first such march was in Toledo, Ohio. Uh, they, went mar- they tried to march through this neighborhood, and they literally provoked a riot. Something like 130 people were arrested that day. Uh, as a result of this march and the speeches that these Nazis gave. Uh, you know, the, the speeches uh, used uh, terminology that you couldn't print in any American newspaper, uh, you know, aimed, of course, at the black uh, uh, people who lived in the, in the community. And so their goal was to incite a riot to get people... Well, yeah, from their point of view, it worked wonderfully because what happened was, yes, they, they did manage to incite a riot by calling these ugly names... Um, and, uh, and, you know, what happened was that night, uh, that riot was on national TV, uh, on all three networks and the cable stations too. So from the point of view of the National Socialist Movement, you know, it proved what they were saying. See, see what black people do? You know, because of course what the television pictures showed were black people attacking police, uh, overturning a police car, you know, setting a building on fire, that kind of thing. Uh, so, you know, from the point of view of NSM, that's nothing but a propaganda victory. Uh, they thought that was, you know, quite wonderful. What would you say, Mark, are the top ten, just to pick a, a number that's manageable, of these national-level hate groups? Oh, I don't know uh, if they're ten off the top of my head. I mean, let me say that, you know, the, the scene five or six years ago was a lot better defined than it is right now. What has happened in the last several years is that the leader, the leaders of the three major, basically the three major uh, Nazi organizations, which really were the most important organizations, have more or less collapsed. Uh, the National Alliance collapsed uh, after its leader died in 2002, as we've already mentioned. Uh, another important group, uh, including a lot of racist skinheads, was called the World Church of the Creator. That group essentially disintegrated after its leader was sent about four years ago uh, to federal prison for soliciting the murder of a federal judge in Chicago. Uh, And finally, the Aryan Nations, which may be the best known in terms of the publicity it's received over the years, 
uh, also collapsed or almost entirely collapsed, and this followed our lawsuit, the Southern Poverty Law Center's uh, 2000 lawsuit against the Aryan Nations, uh, which bankrupted the organization and forced them to sell off their uh, compound up in Idaho. So, you know, to try and answer the question, the National Socialist Movement is very important right now. There's another major Nazi group called the American National Socialist Workers Party, which is important. Uh, there are quite a lot of different clan organizations. Uh, one of the major clan organizations uh, is called the Imperial Clans of America. Uh, they're based in Kentucky. Uh, I mention them in part because we are going to trial against them uh, a little later on this year. And this, in fact, involved uh, an attack on a young man, a 16-year-old boy, at a particular county fair in Kentucky. Uh, these Klansmen were on a recruiting mission. They were out there uh, handing out cards and getting, uh, trying to get people to join the Klan when they spotted this young man and thought he was Hispanic and proceeded to beat him extremely badly. Uh, they, they hurt him very, very badly. Uh, he was attacked by people who were literally twice his weight. Uh, and, you know, and that was very much out of what we've been talking about, this anti-Latino, anti-immigrant uh, bias. As it happens, uh, Jordan Groover was uh, neither Latino nor an immigrant, but that mattered, of course, not at all to the Klan. So in addition to the rallies and the flyers, some of these groups are actively engaged in confrontations and violent toward minority groups. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, it, it is remarkable when you look at some of these groups, the amount of criminality and violence that, that they've produced. Uh, the National Alliance, for instance, the group we were, we were talking about a little earlier, uh, over the course of something like 30 years, produced an immense amount of criminal violence. Uh, National Alliance members were involved in assassinations, one particularly infamous one of a uh, Jewish radio talk show host in Denver. They have been involved in shootouts with police, in bank robberies, in blowing up of gay bookstores, uh, they, in fact, uh, robbed a total of $4.1 million in, in three separate armored car heists. Uh, and the list goes on and on. Uh, you know, more, more, more often than not, it is not really the group that is engaged in these activities. Uh, it's essentially members of these groups freelancing uh, on the side. And there are just an immense number uh, of just straight-up hate crimes as well, and very often... Uh, they will involve someone going out looking for, say, simply a black man uh, to kill. And uh, those kinds of cases come up with really uh, quite shocking regularity. Where about in the country are these groups? It sounds like some of them are organized so that they have a national presence with chapters, I don't know if that's what they would be called, in different parts of the country, and then perhaps other groups are more localized. Can you give us a bit of a picture from a geographic standpoint? Yeah, sure. The, the neo-Nazi and Klan groups tend to be national organizations uh, with members in several different states, but sometimes they're kind of regional. Uh, you know, for instance, the Imperial Clans of America is really based in the Midwest, and that's where most of their members are. Uh, other times you will get very, very local groups, just a tiny little clan group that turns out to be, you know, half a dozen people on a computer, uh, and will be very local. So, but, you know, uh, one thing, one point I would make is, is that, uh, the phenomenon of hate groups in America is not in any sense limited to the, the South or the Deep South. 
these groups are really spread across the country. Uh, there are some states which have literally no hate groups at all, North and South Dakota, for instance, in the last year. Uh, but the vast majority have at least some presence of these groups. Uh, and as I said, they're not particularly a southern phenomenon. As a matter of fact, there are a remarkable number of hate groups uh, in the Midwest and the upper Midwest, you know, all the way sort of Wisconsin, Illinois, Iowa, Ohio, Pennsylvania, those kinds of states. So, uh, you know, they're, they're fairly ubiquitous. They're, they're pretty much all over the place. You spoke earlier about a more mainstream, I don't know if the word more benign would be appropriate, organizational presence, the nativists. Would you tell us a little bit about those? Yeah, I mean, a lot has happened on the kind of anti-immigration scene in just the last few years. But there's a set of organizations, about a dozen major organizations, uh, that seek to limit severely immigration uh, in this country that have existed for uh, going all the way back to the late 70s and, and the 80s. Uh, these are organizations like FAIR, like the Center for Immigration Studies, like the California Coalition for Immigration Reform, American Border Patrol, there are a number of others. And these are the kind of more uh, mainstream organizations uh, at least some of them are. Uh, several are headquartered in Washington, like FAIR and the Center for Immigration Studies, Numbers USA, and a number of others. Uh, these organizations have tended to be uh, more mainstream. They've certainly tried to portray themselves as more mainstream. Some of them really are not. Uh, we very recently began listing FAIR as a hate group, in fact, because an investigation on our part showed that they really have a great many ties to white supremacists and white supremacist ideology. But in any case, these are the powerhouse institutions. Uh, in many cases, they're connected to politicians. Uh, FAIR, for instance, has been very important uh, in, in helping to pass around the country uh, these local ordinances that do things like, you know, take landlords' uh, licenses away from them because they have rented to a quote-unquote illegal alien. Now, you know, all of that said... Uh, in just the last two or three years, really since the spring of 2005, there has been an explosion uh, of new groups. And these are groups that are, by and large, uh, more vigilante-type groups. There are these local citizens' groups that go out there uh, and, in many cases, uh, armed to the teeth, go to the border and try and apprehend border crosses, crossers all by themselves. Uh, there are probably something like 300 of those groups. A lot of them are Minuteman groups, spinoffs of the original Minutemen, uh, who got so much press uh, four or five years ago. So what I'm saying is that we've got a set of kind of Washington-based, older institutions. Uh, then you've got a whole set of uh, much smaller, much more local, generally, Minuteman-type groups around the country, uh, concentrated on the southern border. But, I mean, you find these groups in, in places like Minnesota and Vermont as well. Mark, for the benefit of those who are not familiar with the whole Minutemen uh, history, would you tell us a little bit about that and the groups that it has spawned? Yeah, essentially um, uh, around the turn of the millennium, uh, a guy named Chris Simcox uh, left his teaching job in California, bought a small newspaper in Tombstone, Arizona, and shortly after he bought it, announced that he was forming what he then called a vigilante militia. He's since tempered his language a bit. 
uh, in order to halt what he saw as this invasion uh, of Mexicans uh, and other and Central Americans across the border in Arizona. Uh, you know, very short, but in a very short order, that group uh, became the beginnings of the Minutemen uh, project. Uh, Simcox later allied with another nativist, a man named Jim Gilchrist, to form the Minuteman Project. Minuteman Project really was uh, an exercise that occurred in April of 2005 uh, on the southeastern Arizona border. And, you know, what these people said was that they were going to patrol the border, uh, they were going to erect a fence, they were going to, you know, stop the invasion and so on all by themselves with their guns. Uh, you know, it was not terribly successful, and the, the organizer of this project vastly overstated the numbers of people who uh, participated in their effectiveness. But in any event, it got so much press, a lot of it really fawning, uh, good press, uh, that ultimately that Minuteman project in 2005 spawned uh, a whole array, literally hundreds of groups, uh, that were formed around the country to do essentially the same thing. You know, by God, we're going to go uh, and stop this invasion ourselves. You know, when these groups are not on the border, uh, when they're not in, in, you know, Texas, California, Arizona, you know, New Mexico, and so on, uh, what they are doing uh, is doing things like visiting uh, day labor centers and harassing people who they think, who they suspect uh, are illegal. And, you know, some of it has gotten extremely ugly. Uh, we've had groups of people like the San Diego Minutemen uh, who literally and illegally uh, slap fake police lights on the top of their cars uh, and chase down people who go to these day labor hiring sites uh, to hire uh, men to work. Uh, they chase them down and threaten them. So there's, you know, a whole lot of... Uh, real harassment and confrontation going on courtesy of these groups in the last few years. So even though they're not defined, or most of them except for FAIR, most of the nativist groups are not defined as hate groups, they are engaging in confrontational and sometimes violent activities toward immigrants or people they perceive to be immigrants. That's right. And uh, we don't list them as hate groups because, as we said at the beginning of this show, you know, for us to list a group as a hate group, it really has to have an explicitly racial kind of uh, ideology. Now, these groups are very careful in what they say as a general matter. You know, we don't hate anybody, and they're very concerned uh, to avoid the, the kind of racist label. So you rarely find among these groups, you know, that their official ideology is, you know, people of brown skin are, are you know, sort of dirty, nasty people who need to, you know, whatever it might be. Um, but uh, we have created a whole other list of groups we term nativist extremist groups. And those are the groups that in particular uh, engage in this kind of direct personal harassment and confrontation. Uh, groups such as the San Diego Minutemen that I mentioned just a moment ago. Uh, of the 300 or so groups that have appeared uh, in the country since the April 2005 Minuteman Project, uh, according to our count, 144 uh, qualify as, as the kind of more hard-line nativist extremist groups. So there are 300 nativist groups, more or less, and of those, 144 are extremists. That's right. 
What's next? I mean, it sounds like these groups are growing in numbers and growing in terms of their violence and their anti-immigration, anti-Latino message, in spite of the fact that the growth of immigration itself has slowed down. And researchers are telling us that the growth in the United States is going to come from U.S.-born um, immigrants and children of immigrants. Th- this doesn't seem to be reaching these groups. Well, I, I think what's happening is that uh, certainly violence against Latinos and people perceived to be uh, foreigners uh, is is very high and, and I suspect still going up. You know, that said, I think some interesting things have come out of the uh, primaries and the, the presidential election campaign in general. You know, basically, I think that it turns out that immigration as a kind of scary issue uh, has turned out not to work very well among the broad electorate. There's no doubt that there are millions of Americans who feel very strongly about this and are very angry, and angry in particular at, at Latinos and so on. But, you know, when you talk about uh, real majorities, it's turned out to be very small numbers. Uh, you know, I thought a really instructive uh, exit poll happened in Florida, where 16% of Republicans only uh, described illegal immigration, quote-unquote, as their top issue. So, in other words, what's happened around the country is that the war in Iraq, and now especially the economy, uh, have become, for the vast majority of Americans, the top issue. Uh, obviously, I think, you know, hardline approaches to immigration have become much less so. Uh, I think you see that. Uh, in the fact that uh, John McCain is very likely uh, the Republican nominee, you know, not a particular hardliner uh, on immigration and considerably softer than many of his colleagues in, the, in that party. You know, I, it's probably worth remembering that, you know, there was one extremely hardline character who ran completely on an anti-legal immigration uh, platform in this race, and that was Congressman Tom Tancredo, uh, the Colorado Republican. Uh, you know, uh, to say Tancredo is a hardliner hardly covers it. Uh, you know, Tom Tancredo is a guy who not so long ago told an audience in Illinois that, quote, illegal aliens are coming here to kill me and kill you and kill our families. I mean, my God, that's a U.S. congressman talking about 12 million people. It's just incredible. Uh, but my real point is, is that while last summer... Uh, Tancredo had in the Iowa, in Iowa, where the first uh, caucuses, of course, were held, the first primary. Uh, and last summer, Tancredo had five percent uh, support up there, and that was pretty good for such a kind of fringe candidate. By the time the Iowa uh, caucuses actually rolled around, though, that support had dropped to two percent, and Tancredo quit the race. Uh, you know, so what I'm saying is, is that uh, I think immigration has not worked very well uh, as uh, an issue. Uh, certainly is a far right wing issue in this election, and I think that probably a lot of the candidates uh, are seeing that. So, uh, you know, from my perspective, that's good news. Uh, I'm hoping that uh, the kind of, uh, you know, all the hot air about this issue uh, will start to cool a bit. Do you think that for 2008 or maybe 2009, we can expect some of this to wane? I don't know. Uh, you know, with the uh, FBI keeps hate crime statistics, and those statistics show uh, a 35% increase uh, in anti-Latino hate crimes 
uh, over the last four years, between uh, 2003 and 2006. Now, I have to say, the FBI statistics are extremely sketchy uh, and merely an indication of what's going on out there. It's really hard to say. For instance, you know, the FBI, this is no fault of the FBI. They're merely compiling state uh, statistics. But the national hate crime statistics have shown a total of something like between six and 10,000 hate crimes a year. Uh, a recent and very important Department of Justice study showed that the real level of hate crimes out there including ones that are not reported to police officers, uh, is about a, a 200,000 a year. So, you know, that's a lot of hate crimes. And it's clear that a very significant uh, fraction of that 200,000 number are crimes that are directed against Latinos. And, of course, uh, because so many of these crimes are directed against people who are, in fact, not documented, uh, a great many of them, especially this type of crime, are not reported to police because for the obvious reason, if a person is undocumented uh, and someone uh, beats them up or, or whatever it may be, uh, they're far less likely to go to police for fear that they're going to be deported. So that brings me to the obvious question. I've heard you mention senior-level politicians who are carrying this hate message to their states and beyond, and the government in terms of gathering statistics, but what is going on at the bigger level in terms of the authorities, in terms of Hispanic-led organizations? Is anybody addressing this issue? Yes, I think so. Uh, you know, we, uh, the Southern Poverty Law Center, has begun to work quite closely with groups like La Raza. Uh, we're just starting to work with LULAC as well and a number of other organizations, organizations like Center for New Community, the Center for Community Change, and so on, specifically to take on the kind of uh, mainstreaming of hate that has occurred in this uh, immigration debate, uh, to take on the kinds of statements that you hear very typically coming from Lou Dobbs on CNN. Uh, just to give uh, listeners an idea what I'm talking about, you know, we hear things like, uh, you know, immigrants have brought to this country in the, in the last three years 7,000 new cases of leprosy. Now, when you look at that claim, it turns out to be completely false. Uh, the real number of new leprosy cases in the three years in question was 398. Uh, and it's not known, uh, you know, uh, how many cases may have had anything at all to do with immigration. And it goes on from there. There are just all kinds of claims like that that are made that are completely false. Do these journalists and politicians not do any kind of vetting, or do they know this information is suspect and move forward? Do you have any insights on that? I, I think that it, it's hard to believe that they don't, at least some of them don't realize, that this material is completely, it's propaganda. Um, uh, you know, in any case, the effort by La Raza, by, by us, and by other organizations has been to explicitly take on these kind of false propaganda. Uh, La Raza right now is, has a campaign, uh, the motto of which is, you know, take the hate out of the immigration debate. And that is precisely where we've been on this as an institution as well for four or five years now. Uh, you know, I mean, our position, and I think La Raza's as well, is yes, as a nation, we need uh, to debate uh, the immigration situation. The immigration uh, system is broken. I don't think there's much doubt about that at all. Uh, but the debate ought not to be about leprosy, 
uh, and, you know, wild claims such as the one made on Lou Dobbs the other day that, you know, a third of American prison cells are filled with quote-unquote criminal illegal aliens. That's just a falsehood. Uh, so, you know, I think that uh, there, there's some fighting back going on. I think that a lot of immigrant rights organizations, human rights organizations, and so on, uh, have increasingly come to realize uh, that this debate has turned foul in this country and that we have got to do our best uh, to return it to some kind of civil democratic discourse. Tell us a little bit about the the organization itself, the Southern Poverty Law Center, and what you all do. Well, this was a civil rights group begun by two white lawyers in Montgomery about, what, 35 years ago, 1971. And, you know, for many years it was a, uh, it's a nonprofit, of course. Uh, for many years it was a very traditional civil rights organization, organization in the sense that, you know, we did uh, legal cases having to do with voter dilution and, and uh, discriminatory practices and that kind of thing. Uh, the center became a very famous uh, for suing white supremacist groups. Uh, that is what really made our name. Uh, we would sue these groups and their leaders uh, for the criminal actions of their members, and the lawsuits often uh, resulted in the complete destruction of these groups. Uh, they would be bankrupted and so on. Uh, you know, that method, in fact, was so uh, effective and has been so effective uh, over the years uh, that the Ku Klux Klan or several Ku Klux Klan members actually broke into our offices and firebombed them, burned the place down to the ground uh, back in 1983. That was, of course, when we were a much, much smaller organization. You know, since then, uh, we have spread out in a number of ways. First of all, we have a very major project called the Teaching Tolerance uh, Project, which produces materials, uh, or just as the title sounds, uh, for kids between kindergarten and 12th grade. Our legal department has meanwhile spread out uh, from doing uh, more classical civil rights work and is now very engaged in doing work uh, having to do with protecting immigrants. We have a whole project within legal called the Immigrant Justice Project. Uh, and then in my own department, the Intelligence Project, uh, we have increasingly focused on all kinds of different groups. Uh, for the last several years, though, uh, this immigration business and, and how it has fed the growth of hate groups has been our main focus. What's your source of funding, Mark, for the organization? It, it's completely uh, donor-funded. Uh, in fact, we won't accept government money uh, for what I think is the obvious reason, that you know we don't want to be seen in any way as an arm of the government or under anybody's influence at all. Uh, traditionally, we've lived off very small uh, amounts of money. I think the average was uh, you know, something like a $35 donation raised by direct mail. Uh, you know, it's begun to change a little bit. There's not as much money out there, and we're getting a little more foundation support. Uh, but that, that's the source of our funding, and I should say, for, for the benefit of listeners, that, you know, when we represent people, for instance, suing uh, white supremacist organizations, uh, we do not do it for money. We do not uh, take any part of any award that uh, a plaintiff we represent might win. Our, you know, our purpose is to destroy these groups, uh, and to uh, you know, bring justice to the plaintiffs. Is this dangerous work? I mean, you talked about bombing earlier. Are you all concerned about your safety? Oh yes, it's dangerous work. I mean, I will say that uh, we spend over a million dollars a year on security here. Uh, we live in a uh, you know we operate from a building that looks uh, a bit like a fortress. 
uh, you know, we often joke uh, internally, you know, it's not the right-wing extremists who live in, in armed compounds, it's us. So, you know, yes, that's a condition of our work. Uh, there are many people uh, who really despise the place. We get death threats all the time. Uh, there are, uh, I believe there's a total of something like 29 or 30 people, uh, men who have been sent to federal prison in a whole series of different plots to either blow up the building I'm working in, to assassinate the founders, in particular Morris Dees, uh, or in other ways to attack uh, this organization. So, yeah, it's a serious business. What recommendations would you share with our listeners who want to gain a better understanding of these issues affecting hate crimes and anti-Latino, anti-immigration groups? Well, I would urge people, among other things, to take a look at uh, the website for the magazine uh, that we produce here. Uh, it would be www.intelligencereport.org. Uh, there are now about 10 years of archives of the magazine up there, uh, and there's a, really quite a, a collection of very serious investigative stories about these nativist groups and their activities, uh, their funding, and all kinds of other things. So I, I think that is important material. I, I think it's particularly important for people to understand how really crazy uh, some of the leaders of this movement uh, are. Uh, you know, they are very often taken seriously on national television and by news reporters and so on, and I would certainly argue that they shouldn't be. Uh, to give just a brief example, uh, we mentioned earlier in our talk Chris Simcox, the original founder of the Minutemen. You know, Chris Simcox is a guy who has been on CNN probably 30 or 40 times over the last few years and innumerable other uh, newscasts and is taken seriously as a critic of the immigration situation. Uh, but the, the sorry little reality that you will not hear on CNN uh, or on the Dobbs show is that when Chris Simcox is not facing the television cameras, he is telling audiences that he has personally witnessed the Chinese Red Army on the Mexican border preparing to invade the United States. Uh, you know, that is the kind of thing that I think shows you who we're really talking about. I mean, I think it goes without saying that if you really believe there are, you know, men with uh, little red stars on their caps, uh, you know, down there in Mexico getting ready to invade the United States, you know, you really need to see a physician. Uh, you know, so I, I think that's an important thing for people to understand. Uh, the people, the leaders of this movement uh, are not very nice people. In some cases, they're open white supremacists or bigots. In others, uh, they are just really quite crazy. Uh, you know, let me give one other example of that craziness. And this is a movement that pushes very heavily conspiracy theories. Uh, the most popular these days is a fantasy idea uh, that there's a secret plot by the United States, Mexico, and Canada to merge into a single country uh, to be called the North American Union. Uh, this has been uh, hyped mainly by the uh, wildly uh, extremist of John Birch Society, uh, but this idea has been pushed out into the mainstream, again with the help of politicians and pundits like Lou Dobbs, to the point where 18 houses of representatives in 18 different states, uh, the House of Representatives has passed a resolution denouncing the North American Union. You know, uh, there is no such thing. No such thing has ever been contemplated. Uh, it's merely a fantasy, a kind of paranoid fantasy 
but that's the state we're in, that we actually have legislatures passing these resolutions. When I hear you describe some of these groups and some of these conversations and interviews and claims that really sound very outlandish and very far from reality as we know it, one of the things that goes through my mind, and and I think perhaps for some of our listeners, is that this doesn't relate to their world, to their city, to their state, wherever they are. Is that true? How can people understand that these individuals and these groups, hate groups and nativists and extreme nativist groups, really are out there across the country? Well, from my perspective, it's hard to believe that anybody's not aware of these groups. They've got such a huge amount of press. It's been very much not limited to border states. As I think I said earlier, I mean, these groups are popping up in, you know, Minnesota and Iowa and Vermont and New Hampshire, places like that, uh, you know, uh, presumably to guard against the, you know, invasion of evil Canadians, I guess. Uh, but uh, so I, I think the groups really are out there, and if people are not aware of them, uh, they ought to be. Uh, you know, very frequently we hear from people who had no idea, for instance, there was a Klan chapter in their town. That, I think, is vastly more understandable. The Klan is very secretive. You know, uh, typically they're tiny little chapters. Uh, but these nativist groups are, are in your face and in the papers uh, in very many places. So, honestly, you know, I think that if people pay attention, they will realize uh, that these groups are, are very plentiful, very active, and really very scary. Thank you, Mark, for joining us today from Montgomery, Alabama. And thank you so very much for having me. And to our audience, thank you for listening to Mark Poda, who is director of the Intelligence Project of the Southern Poverty Law Center, who talked about anti-Latino, anti-immigration hate groups in the United States, brought to you by Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicNPR.com providing you essential information on America's largest minority. Please share your suggestions, questions, and ideas by leaving a comment on the HispanicMPR.com website. If you or someone you know would like to be on the show, you can email me directly at editor at HispanicMPR.com. That's editor at HispanicMPR.com. For more information on how to reach Hispanics with marketing and public relations tools, visit our resources section at www.hispanicmpr.com. That's www.hispanicmpr.com.